of the sky. Look. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Matt Spectro through the multiverse. Thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. I am your host, Matt Spectro, lifetime comic fan, lifetime animation fan, lifetime superhero fan. And this is the podcast exclusively talking comic book animation. This is a very special event because we are now beginning the buildup to our one-year anniversary episode. That's right, hard to believe, but over a little over a year ago, we started this podcast in celebration, a very special event. We are doing a five-episode celebration where every episode, I'm bringing back one of the guests who are on our five most popular episodes. Yep, I almost want to say you demanded it, but these are the guests that got the most listens, and we're going to bring them back one more time. Welcome to episode 46. Without further ado, I'm going to bring my guest. He's the fifth most popular episode in multiverse history. Welcome back to the multiverse, my nephew, Jamie. That's how I like to be introduced, is a strong fifth place. <laughs> it is, I do uh, appreciate you coming back. And back in October, you came aboard for our Halloween episode, and we talked Batman and Robin meets Scooby-Doo. Oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> Good time then. Now, uh, what do you attest uh, your episode's popularity to? The topic or yourself or a combination of the two? Uh, I assume probably more the topic. I don't know if I have that much of a footprint, I would say, to make it popular enough. But uh, people love Batman. People love Scooby-Doo. I'm going to give people some uh, heads up. Uh, Number one, there will be spoilers. Number two, we're just here to have fun. We're not necessarily experts. We're just two guys talking comic book animation so like i said this is episode 46 i let my guests pick what they want to talk about what are we going to talk about today and why did you pick it jamie uh so i wanted to do all-star superman uh as when i got a free reign basically it's one of my favorite comic books of all time superman is actually my favorite superhero like period Honestly, Grant Morrison is also one of my favorite comic book writers of all time. So him just taking the reins of the character for this kind of mini series, it's and just kind of all the culmination of like really just all the different elements that make Superman so good all in one story. So it really has a lot of importance to me as a comic book fan. And then just when it got a movie adaption, it's also worked on by Dwayne McDuffie, who's also one of my favorite people in like comics and animation there, too. Now, uh, without getting into a full review, uh, were you skeptical or nervous at all when you heard they were going to be adapting All-Star Superman into an animated film? I would say a little skeptical. It is just, there's a lot in this series, which, and again, I don't want to spoil it just yet, but I do think having previously seen it, they don't get a lot of the elements I really love about the comic there, but they get most of it. So I think it still works in the translation. So we've done previous Superman episodes, so I'm not going to get into the whole history of Superman. Obviously, he's, you know, the he's an American icon. He's the first, really, maybe not the first, but pretty much the, the pioneer of the whole superhero genre. 
created back in 1938 by Jerry Seigel and Joe Schuster. And we're going to be talking All-Star Superman. The comic book came out uh, in the period of 2005-2008, which you had mentioned, uh, written by uh, the legendary Great Morrison and illustrated by, and I'm always <laughs> horrible with Frank Quitely. Is that how you pronounce his name? <laughs> And I have never, full disclosure, I've ne- actually, I keep saying I'm going to, but I've never actually read the comic book. I got it. Like I said, one of my favorite, like, just comic books of all time, probably. And the only good all-star series they did there. No, it followed up after the all-star Batman. If I'm not mistaken, isn't that the infamous, what are you, a, a retard Batman? The horrible yeah, thing? Yeah, I'm the, I'm the goddamn Batman there and everything. <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> Well, Grant Morrison did a really good job with All-Star Superman, I would say, and just like really taking the core elements and all the wackiness that comes with Superman. I don't really know what Frank Miller was going with for, like at all with that series. You think if they're going to do like a series of All-Stars on classic characters, they would have kind of made them mesh. But maybe the point was just to bring classic writers to the run. Yeah, from my understanding, it was kind of supposed to be like an ultimate like ultimate DC sort of thing of like just giving the writers and artists like kind of free reign to use the characters however they wanted and kind of their own separate thing. And I think they had more plans to do different series that just kind of once like these two came out and like all-star Superman did really well. And then I think all-star Batman and Robin didn't, they kind of just all fell apart from there. And all-star Superman had an ending, but if I'm not mistaken, the all-star Batman, that never even came to a finish, did it? Yeah. <laughs> I think it just all just stopped, basically, from what I remember of like only like three or four of the issues. Now, a lot of this Grant Morrison said that uh, he had wanted, he, the inspiration was he wanted to do a timeless Superman story. And uh, there's supposedly a story of him, a really good Superman cosplayer he had seen at the convention that actually led him to the initial inspiration for writing the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if I remember too, also, uh, just from interviews he's given, they said that uh, this was kind of a pitch that they had worked on in the 90s with like Mark Wade and Mark Miller. And I think Tom Payer was the fourth one of just like kind of rebooting Superman slightly for like the more modern era. Uh, but a lot of the elements kind of caused the editorial team to reject it. And that's also around the same time period. We got like the electric blue Superman kind of story arc there. Isn't there some story, and uh, I thought this might be an urban legend, where Dan Didio wanted to make Superman like this ultra right-wing conservative character, and and that was part of Grant Morrison's motivation to come aboard and make sure that didn't happen? Yes, but that's actually for a later comic. Ah, uh, okay. It's the Superman and the Authority series that just came out that they did there. Uh, so I got my Grant Morrison Superman stories uh, yep. confused. Like I said, that's why I put the disclaimer, not an expert. Mm. Now, Grant Morrison, uh, who I wouldn't go as far as say I'm hot and cold, where I just, he's written some stuff that I really, really think is good. Animal Man, Doom Patrol, things like that. Uh, he's just written a few things that I think were kind of a swing and a miss, like his short-lived flash run. Yeah. And uh, this is the man who came up with Professor X had a, sister we never knew about who also had mutant powers and was also bald yep yeah the new x-men run is very up or down there i enjoy a lot of the ideas he has but some of the 
and then of course there's the whole zorn magneto stuff that came about as a result of it too that's a little messy (laughs) but i do have respect because he sees superman the way i see superman the way superman should always be is the classic timeless like selfless character Mm -hmm. he's admirable in the sense of uh how he thinks comics should be presented. In fact, I'm going to read a quote from you that I I think both sides of the comic argument should hear this quote and really, uh, they should really think about before they post some of the stuff they post. He says, adults struggle desperately with fiction demanding constantly that it conforms to the rules of everyday life. Adults foolishly demand to know how Superman can possibly fly or how Batman can possibly run a multi-million dollar business empire during the day and fright crime at night the answer is obvious even to the smallest child because it's not real <laughs> yeah i think that's kind of whole culminates his whole like view really when it comes to comics of just like they should be fun and like they can deal with like serious issues and everything but ultimately it's just all about like all the goofiness and all the actual like kind of heart of like superheroes and stuff mixed with kind of actually talking about issues and dealing with things too. I can't tell you many a, a days when I'm trying, when I go on social media to promote my podcast, how much that quote has gotten me through <laughs> the, the quagmire that is comic book social media in 2022. Some people have argued this is the greatest Superman comic or story ever told. Would you, uh, is that possible to, to narrow it down? And do you think this would be it? I mean, I don't know if that's like objectively possible, to be fair, because uh, I mean, everyone has their own taste when it comes to stuff. It's definitely, I think, my favorite for sure. And I think it's also just in general, the one that kind of captures what's so fun about Superman of like this. A lot of the elements are very much like throwbacks to like the Silver Age Superman being kind of more everything's kind of ridiculous. And there's all these like insane elements that are all combined with him just being like a borderline God, essentially in February 22nd, 2011, uh, Warner brothers animation and DC entertainment released direct to DVD all-star Superman. Now, like you had said, it was, uh, they say written, but I, I choose when it comes to stuff like this adapted because they're, it's based on a story The like you had said, the late great Dwayne McDuffie adapted this. Anybody who does not know who he is, uh, as far as um, other uh, animation, he had worked on Static Shock. He had worked on Justice League. He worked on Ben 10. Uh, I believe he wrote uh, The Crisis of Two Earths uh, DVD. Mm-hmm. He's also, also based one of, off of a Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly series there, too. He must love that, uh, that combination. <laughs> <laughs> um, he also was one of the, co- the co-creators of the Milestone comic imprint, uh, co-creating the characters of Icon Rocket and uh static as well unfortunately uh he we lost him i think back in the same year this was released uh he passed away yeah it's actually like crazy that um basically literally the day before this came out was the day he passed so it's like this is literally like the final work he like kind of ever like actually worked on so to speak Now, it's uh, produced also by Bruce Tim, Alan Burnett, and Sam Register, who had worked on a bunch of the DC animation, uh, directed by a Sam, I'm going to butcher this name, Lou or Lai, I don't know how you say it, L-I-U. So, <laughs> Sam had also directed uh, the Death of Superman animation, 
Justice League versus the Fatal Five and uh, directed Wonder Woman Bloodlines. Um, yeah, a, lot, a lot of those animated movies they've been kind of pumping out in the last decade. And so, and now it's um, you can find it on uh, HBO Max as well as uh, you can still buy the DVD as well as I think it's on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And uh, for the most part, all the stuff I could find critically, uh, I didn't find too many negative reviews of either the comic or the animation thing when I was doing my research for this episode. Yeah, both are pretty well regarded in terms of just the comic, I believe, is yeah pretty universally praised and everything. The movie is uh, it can't adapt everything from it, but I think it does its best job that it can within the kind of limits that are put on it in terms of just. I know, unfortunately, a lot of the DC animated movies kind of have like a mandated runtime of an hour and a half or shorter. So they kind of had to work within those constraints. And I noticed that lately there's been this weird phenomenon on with the fandom where they make changes from one medium to another. And you have one half of the people just immediately do mental gymnastics to defend every change. And then the other group is angry no matter what logic you present to them for these changes being made. Yeah, changes is always going to make someone upset. So, and the uh, credit credit is due. I'm I'm not going to go over every single character that appears, but uh, Superman, like I said, obviously created by Jerry Seigel and Joe Schuster. He's voiced by James Denton. His biggest uh, things he's known for, he was on Desperate Housewives and uh, The Good Witch. If anybody out there watches, I know on Desperate Housewives, he was, he was I think, with Terry Hatcher on that show, if my memory serves. Mm-hmm. Lois Lane, also created by Jerry Seigel and Joe Schuster, voiced by uh, Christina Hendricks, who is uh, most famous known for, uh, uh, she was on Mad Men, uh, she was in the show Good Girls, uh, she actually voiced, uh, voiced, voiced Gabby Gabby in Toy Story 4, <laughs> and at one point she was voted the best looking woman in America. Yeah, that was right around the, the time of Mad Men, the whole craze there. That is quite a feat. She is beautiful, but the most the best looking woman in America. <laughs> Lex Luthor, created by Jerry Seigel and Joel Schuster. He's voiced by Anthony LaPaglia. Uh, he was on the show Without a Trace. He was in the second Annabelle uh, movie, which is uh, Annabelle Creation, which is technically a prequel. Uh, he was the star of the 90s, early 90s horror movie, well, horror comedy, Innocent Blood, if you might not have seen that. He was in So I Married an Axe Murderer. Yeah, which I have seen, actually. <laughs> Perry White. You know, uh, he was actually created by Jerry Seigel and Wayne Boring. And uh, the late Ed Asner does his voice. Everybody should know as Ed Asner, but he was Lou Grant on the Merrily Tyler Moore show. Santa Claus in the movie Elf. And as far as animation goes, he was the voice of Carl Fredrickson in the movie Up. And I uh, also believe he was, in a funny bit of him being Perry, he voiced uh, J. Jonah Jameson in one of the Spider-Man cartoons. Yes, the 90s Spider-Man, he is the voice of J.J.J. He also showed up strangely in the Doom Patrol live action show for like one episode. It was very weird when he shows up. And, <laughs> and Doom Patrol? No, you don't say. Yeah. <laughs> And I think he might have voiced Granny Goodness on one of the Justice League cartoons, but that might just be my uh, my memory being off. <laughs> no, I believe that's right. I think I also saw that. It's strange, but uh, and we have uh, Martha Kent, created by uh, Jerry Seigel, Joe Schuster. A Francis Conroy voices her. She was uh, Ruth Fisher on Six Feet Under. Uh, she was on, I think, every season of American Horror Story. 
And she played the Joker's mom in the film The Joker. <laughs> Love a DC connection and everything there. So, I mean, there's a lot of uh, characters that appear, but I, I uh, some only have one lines or are very short, and, <laughs> you know, we only have so, many t- so much time on the podcast. So, without further ado, we're going to watch All-Star Superman, and then we're going to talk about it. You should watch it on the break as well. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Kids, come meet your new sitter. Looks like a good time to check out Burger King. Yeah, that sounds great. What are you watching? Uh, Superman fighting Brainiac? Could you turn it down? Cool new Superman toys are now at Burger King. You can get one with every kid's club meal. Well, what have we here? Burger King Kids Club. Great food, cool stuff, kids only. Superman's journal. Final entry. I'm dying. My cells are breaking down. I'm running out of time. Welcome to the new world. Lay down your weapons and you won't be hurt. We only have one chance to save the world. My last adventure is about to begin. You know what happens when you take on Lex Luthor? If I die, you die first! Did you ever think that it would end like this? Just try one. If you don't like it, it's easy to give up. Uh Uh-oh. Nicotine. I'd better move fast. Up up and away! Go on, kid. Go on. Superman, is it hard to give up smoking or is it easy like nicotine says? You no good windbag nicotine. No, no, Superman. Leave me one. Please, I need one. <laughs> Just... <laughs> that's how hard it is. And that's why I never say yes to a cigarette. Meanwhile, at the Podcast of Justice. And we are back. And we just watched the hand chosen by my fifth most popular guest, All Star Superman. And uh, that was a. Uh, I'd seen it once before, but it was good to see it again. And uh, uh, I'm not going to get too much. We get to our review at the end, but uh, we're just going to get right into it. We open up with a opening credit scene where it's a mixture of uh, a sun. I should say, a ship around the sun with a mixture of uh, a voiceover of Superman's origin as well. Um, I got to say, uh, I do like how the animation really does does its best to try and uh, mimic the art style of the comic book. Yeah, like almost like I, the like scene where he just like is flying beneath, with the sun overhead that's also used as the cover is almost like panel, like a splash page from the comic itself in addition to like 
the like still frames that are being shown when uh, they're doing the origin in just four sentences there. One of the astronauts on this uh, ship around the sun turns into a monster. Oh, before we get that, Dr. Uh, Quintum, who's uh, leading this expedition, says how it's 40 million degrees. <laughs> just everything is over the top already. So the uh, yeah, the pilot turns into a monster. You find out that Lex Luthor is controlling him. Superman does uh, show up. He's going to save the day. But before we uh, get too much further, then uh, we switch to uh, Lois Rain. Did I just say, did I say rain? Yeah. <laughs> Lois Lane writing about uh, Superman saving the ship, even like before it's even happened. So that's how confident she is with uh, what's going to happen. And she says, I wonder, uh, do you wonder how big it is? <laughs> Where at that point we get Cat Grant looking at the muscle bound window washer who says, <laughs> For where I'm standing, I hope it's proportional. <laughs> just this very weird for a Superman story, really. But speaking of weird, around the corner comes Jimmy Olsen in drag. We never really get an explanation on this. Is there something more in the comic book that I'm missing here? Why is he in drag? Uh, so kind of, but not really. So uh, in the the comic, there's this reoccurring bit where Jimmy Olsen does this like column for the planet that's just like a day in the life of blank, and it's just every week it's like a different thing. And that like leads into one side story. Uh, so it's mostly just supposed to be like kind of a, I guess like a little reference to that. But I also do think it's kind of cute that there isn't any explanation. It's just like, <laughs> listen, maybe in this universe, Jimmy Olsen's like gender fluid or whatever. And you just, just, they just roll with it. <laughs> well, I admit, I probably would have laughed. I laughed harder than I probably would have laughed if they had given an actual explanation. <laughs> in fact, there's even a line about asking him if he's working undercover when he says no. And why? Asks, why? <laughs> Lois asked him how he knows so much about the sun. This was a little baffling to me. Suddenly, his single watch is like, can get Google and stuff on it. He says that's where he looked all this stuff up. Um, so that was a little weird. I love how uh, Luthor, uh, Perry White has the, the headline, and it just says, Luthor lied. Listen, they're very direct at the Daily Planet. <laughs> <laughs> they finally got him. And then you get a sight of uh, Lex Luthor where he's got like a virtual reality machine. You can tell that he's uh, controlling uh, that monster as well. And uh, he even talks part about what's bothering him is that he's getting older, but Superman is not. And uh, you also find there's a little bit of a subplot about Luthor is kind of like, I don't know if he's pardoned, but he's kind of like on a work release where he's supposed to be working with the government on technology. Uh, and then Superman does come, gets into a big fight with that monster. He ends up throwing it into the sun. As you do. And uh, he saves the ship with this new power of, uh, I believe it was extending his biofield metric. So it's catching in a big net. Yeah, all the electricity and like energy in his body. He's like extending out there and just, just like getting new powers now that he's supercharged from the sun. So we go to the doing a test to see because, uh, yeah, they've come to the conclusion that he's had a, over his cells have uh, absorbed so much energy from the sun. He's uh, lifting quintillion tons at one point. <laughs> I don't even know what a quintillion is. Yeah, it sounds like one of those like numbers that's supposed to like made up that people just say like a zillion. Like, what is that? So they find, yeah, his body is charging, overcharging due to exposure to the sun, but it's also dying. Well, he's going to be dying because it's eventually his cells are going to overload. Mm -hmm. 
And they say that was Luthor's plan all along. He does ask them to keep it a secret for the time being. And then we go to many, <laughs> one of many scenes of Clark at the Daily Planet really going overboard, being an inept, clumsy idiot. <laughs> really got to sell it. <laughs> like he slips on his way to uh, Perry White's office, who was about to fire him, but uh, he does not. You go to a scene, uh, the feds, they go to uh, arrest Luthor, who uh, surrenders willingly. Uh, he's not upset at all. After that happens, Clark is walking with Lois Lane uh, with her groceries where he, you know, he pretends to trip to save a guy from a, a bridge collapsing, at which point he refers to her boyfriend is an idiot. And I believe she said, uh, he's not my idiot. And then he's, yeah, and then he's just like, where would my self-esteem be without you, Lois? <laughs> and I think she said uh, it would be home alone in front of the TV. <laughs> and it's, uh, and yeah, going back to the bit there, I do really like, one of those little things, and this comes up a lot in the comic too, of just him doing the clumsiness to like make you like, guy's just like bumping Clark, but he's still like using it to like save people and everything. Of like how he bumps into the guy, prevents the like him from getting hit by the falling debris and everything like that. Some people, I, I don't know why people that is one particular suspension of disbelief people have such a hard time with. I, it's, to me, it's part of the charm of Superman that uh, he's living this double life as Clark Kent. And it's it's it should be obvious, but it's not. Mm -hmm. And well, in this one, especially because he's like exaggerated the point of comedic effect of just like how like different and bumbling he is when he's Clark compared to like how put together he is when he's Superman. At least in the John Byrne run, they finally at least had him like go to the gym and stuff. So it would explain why he was so huge. Ah, he works on a farm. Everyone there is jacked, obviously. <laughs> so uh, he does reveal to Lois Lane that. He is Superman. She says that uh, even he has to admit it's hard to believe that he's Clark Kent. I do love the, the the constant Lois Lane is just not convinced that he's telling the truth about this. Yeah, I love it. And it's just like they keep referencing like stuff of like, well, what about this? And it's like, oh, well, that was Batman disguises me. It's like, <laughs> what about this robot? And it's just like all those like goofy, like silver age 1960s superman where they go like to elaborate lengths to like convince lois he's not clark to the point of just like this seems like really kind of mean to her they get to the fortress of solitude and i was a bit saddened that he had in lois actually brings it up that uh they that he got rid of the giant key <laughs> i love the giant key it's very goofy but very fun and it, though it does as he says just like Kind of just like leaving the giant key to your front door, like right there and everything. So he has a small key, but he reveals that it's made from a dwarf star. So it weighs a million tons. So uh, he's the only one who can lift it. We go into the trophy room, which was pretty awesome. You can see Kandor, the bottled cities there. There's giant statues of his uh, parents, a giant cruise ship. I even thought there was a giant penny in there, which I think is... I guess, is that what superheroes do in the DC universe? They all collect giant, giant pennies. pennies. Yeah. It might have just been a reference there for Batman's cave and everything, too. I imagine. Uh, there's a scene where she's taking a shower, and uh, this made me laugh, where she asked if he was using his x-ray vision to sneak a peek, which she said that if the roles were reversed, she she would do it. And then, like, Clark's just, like, kind of offended, like, no, I would never. <laughs> She gives a tour. This is also a whole cool bit because I love the Fortress of Solitude as much as it's ludicrous. I just, you know, I love how it collects his trophies from around the world. And it's just a, a cool concept. And it's really explored well in this where they don't, 
I hate when people try and shy away from the, you know, uh, the silliness of especially the Silver Age. So, I mean, with Batman, I understand why they've shied away from it, but with Superman, I don't. I just don't see there's any reason to do it. And um, especially just also setting up here, just like oh, and here's our armory, and none of these weapons or anything will ever come up later in the story. Yeah, because he has all these weapons that he says that can uh, even maybe affect him. He has a time telescope where he can talk to his uh, relatives in the future, um, which he has. He still worked out a few bugs where Lois even comments that the descendant looks like her father. Uh, um, and this is also uh, an Easter egg that's in the comic, too, of course. But the Superman that's there, like Cal Kent, is uh, the Superman from DC 1 million, which was also by Grant Morrison there. Oh, okay. That's clever. I forgot about that. If anyone forgets, there was a crossover event. I think it was in the late 90s, DC 1 million, where everybody had to write a story of their DC character that took place in the year 1 million. (laughs) Very odd idea. (laughs) Yeah, it was just like, here's this super bizarre, far, far future. (laughs) It's just like, all right. Um, He has a pet sun eater. This is a great Superman bit. He makes little sons to feed the Sun Eater. <laughs> yeah, I really love that too. Just tiny little on a weird anvil. It just shat, basically breaks and makes them. I think the Sun Eater is originally from the Legion of Superheroes, but I might be I might be wrong about that. Yeah, it's definitely I forget exactly where it's shown up, but it is like a DC like comics thing there. It's not just like made up for this or anything. Uh there's one room though that is off limits to Lois Lane. She snuck a peek and saw the robots working on something. Mm-hmm. So then they, they go to dinner on a cruise ship where Superman has kind of this cloak on, which we find out is traditional Kryptonian formal wear, which he made himself. She needs more convincing at this point that Clark has been Superman all the, t- all the time because uh, she's kind of upset if it's true that she, he's been lying to her all the time. Mm-hmm. He better work on that because we all saw in Kevin Smith's uh, He-Man what happens when you lie to someone about your uh, secret identity. What a a reference. (laughs) She even says that he, she thinks he was fooling people to make himself feel superior, which I I thought was a little weird. Mm -hmm, Yeah, they're kind of setting up that something's kind of off around Lois right now. She gets a weapon because she thinks that his plan is to make a master race of super children and have her be the mother. At the time, I got a bit, I was a little confused by what was happening here. This seemed a little ridiculous to me. It gets explained in a couple of minutes, but at the time watching that, I was so confused. Yeah, it goes from zero to 100 real fast there, which <laughs> I guess is like kind of the point, but it is still like kind of jarring all of a sudden. You find out later on that uh, that room that was off limits, there was a... Uh, a certain chemical that causes paranoia in a uh, visual errors. So that kind of explains why she's acting so extreme. Cause she actually shoots Clark at one point with a kryptonite gun, but it's revealed that he's so charged now that kryptonite doesn't even hurt him. And, uh, he was working on a serum that gives people a uh, 24 hour Superman powers. Now, this goes back to like the 50s where they love the concept of every normal human in Superman's cast has gotten powers at some point or another. Jimmy Olsen has had like multiple different powers. He's had like Superman's powers. He could like stretch at one point. He turned into a giant green alien in another comic. 
Yeah, like getting like porcupine needles and stuff. Like they love mutating him back in like the sixties. <laughs> and she wonders when it's gonna t- uh, work, and then she notices that she's floating. So then we switch to Luthor, who, who's on trial, where he's very indignant. In fact, calls the judge a pompous, senile toad. <laughs> Just very petty, even now. And they find him guilty of all charges, so things don't look like they're going to work out too well for Luthor. We switch to Superman flying over with Lois Lane, who's uh, in a... Well, I don't know how to describe the costume. It's a superhero costume, but it's not... You probably would expect it to be like Supergirl or something like that, but it's kind of its own design. It's like red, yellow, and blue. Yeah, it's like all the same colors of like Superman's outfit, but more kind of like... I feel like the yellow was definitely more prominent in it for whatever reason, just like the design. Uh, they find that there's a reptilian invasion from Earth's core <laughs> happening in Metropolis. Obviously. Like, what else is going to happen? And uh, to help fight them is uh, Samson and Atlas. Now, I was unfamiliar with these characters. Are they creations of the series, or are they from the DC lore? They like These versions of them are created for like this and everything. Uh, I know like Atlas is a Superman-related character, though he's, he's pretty different in the comic. He's the It was like made by Jack Kirby for another thing that they then kind of adapted for Superman, if I remember correctly. Oh, okay, yes. I remember that character. Now that, now that you say Jack Kirby, now it completely rings a bell. Yeah. I, Samson, I think, is entirely made up, though I think like inspired by, like I believe, like the biblical Samson, I assume, and everything. I mean, at one point, he throws a lizard right <laughs> off the planet through a satellite. <laughs> And Superman just goes, his lungs just burst. <laughs> he uh, hits on Lois. Atlas says that uh, they should have a super contest to, to win her affection, which is actually getting Superman a little hot in the collar. Mm-hmm. They pretty easily defeat these lizards. They go underground with uh, Superman having a confrontation with the, the well, conf- a conversation with the Lizard King. Uh, apparently, he wasn't authorizing all of this. So then uh, Lois starts. Uh, Flirting with At- Atlas and Samson says she's going to teach him a lesson. <laughs> so uh, don't want that. Yeah, this was the part that was weird to me here of just like this whole little like they're all interaction. I was like, I get what's kind of going on here of like these guys are kind of being like jerks and everything. And it's kind of like, again, a reference to like people always wanting Lois Lane back in the day for whatever reason in the comics with the, like the Silver Age again. But it's also it's just like, why is so we're really kind of being weirdly possessive and all this whole like weird energy that's going on with these scenes. But then Atlas kind of in a almost more sincere moment says how he knows Superman's days are numbered because he has a paper that says Superman dead on the headline. Mm-hmm. And even the paper says that he answered the unanswerable question. The ultra Spinks shows up. <laughs> he has Lois Lane who is both alive and dead at the same time. Superman to save her. He must answer a riddle. What happens when the irresistible force meets the unmovable object? So, Gorilla Monsoon is now uh, <laughs> joined, <laughs> has now joined the All-Star Superman. Oh, please, will you stop? But Superman very cl- cleverly sees in the back of the paper, and he answers, they surrender, which is the correct answer. So, he frees Lois Lane. 
She's kind of happy. But then Atlas and Samson go back to her. They're getting in Superman's face. They still want to challenge for the love of Lois Lane. Now, there's got to be other women in the universe at this point is all I can think of. Well, it's like Atlas said earlier. It's just like beautiful, intelligent women with superpowers are rare in any century, you know? <laughs> so, uh, they start trying to poke the bear with Superman. They say even his uh, symbol is yellow. <laughs> Which is also, it's just like, you just saw this guy, like, not like brute strength, but still like defeat this like cosmic sphinx creature. And you're like, yeah, we should also probably like antagonize him more though. So they have an arm wrestling contest. Now, right to me, the tip off should be Superman's arm wrestling both of you at the same time. <laughs> same time. I mean, that would have been like, number one, an alarm bell would have gone off in my head that maybe I'm not going to win this. And an arm wrestling that's... <laughs> Not since Arnold Schwarzenegger and Carl Weathers have we seen such an epic arm wrestling contest where it beats them both at once so hard that he literally smashes a part of the island. <laughs> they're on you. It was uh, pretty impressive. He walks away with Lois while they're uh, really licking their wounds. They have this great moment where they uh, fly to the moon together. They uh, share a kiss. And when they come back to their apartment where you see Lois's uh, powers are wearing off, she still doesn't believe he's Clark Kent. Clark Kent, yeah. Like, even after everything. Oh. She falls asleep in his arm. He puts her to bed. And then we switch to Clark Kent interviewing Lex Luthor in prison. Now, this whole segment kind of bothered me because the guy's on death row. Mm -hmm. Yet, they're letting him... Walk around the prison, work out in the prison gym. <laughs> like, it's just weird how, how much freedom he has when he's on death row for all his crimes. Listen, we're still there. We're still humane. We're not going <laughs> to listen. He's a bad guy convicted of crimes against humanity and everything. But well, come on, we have let him have his dignity. Uh, Clark, of course, trips on a wire, which, uh, accidentally uh, bumps Luthor but saves him because he would have gotten electrocuted if Clark hadn't done that. They go to a scene where uh, Luthor is working out. He's at one point running on a treadmill with dumbbells, which is pretty impressive, <laughs> I gotta say. Oh, oh, so he's got this little robot that hangs around with him, which seems to me just ridiculous if the guy's in prison. Well, it's just there to read books aloud, you know. That's all it does. That's all it does. <laughs> they never learn their lesson with this guy. He tries to convince Clark that uh, he would be better off. Everybody would be better off without Superman. I also do like the bit where he's like, he's just ranting and Clark's just taking notes. And he's like, what is this code? I'll decipher it in less than a minute. And then Clark just has to like explain. It's like, it's just shorthand for notes. Lex. That seems to really uh, get under uh, Lex's skin. Like you can't believe he would do shorthand. <laughs> While they're touring the prison, you see Mentalo is in the prison and Parasite. Parasite, though, is going to kill Luthor. They never really explain why he hates Lex Luthor so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just like one of those, like, we're supposed to, like, believe there's all these adventures and everything that have happened, like, before now. So it's always just one of those. Something happened in the past, basically. So he absorbs Clark's energy. I assume it's because, you know, he's got so much, so many of his cells are irradiated because of what's going on that it makes uh, Parasite super powerful, who starts wreaking havoc through the whole prison, grows giant destroying stuff beating up prisoners yeah they do that i do like the scene there where they're showing like parasites like heat vision sort of uh infrared vision there he has 
and you see like normal people have like little bits of light and energy in them and then you see clark and he has like entirely like glowing entire body basically yeah he's like yellow bright yellow head to toe great bit where uh clark's hiding and uh luthor says uh you're afraid he'll absorb your cowardice <laughs> just even in the face of this he's still just like being petty and insulting uh, riot breaks out uh superman uses the cover of tear gas to uses powers without anybody knowing um at one point they're running in uh <laughs> luthor says uh pray to einstein for a miracle yeah it's just he does this a bunch throughout the movie that i really just like just dumb little bits where he does like that where it's like there's a bit later where it's just like he like spits at a priest of just being like, ah, I hate religion and rat like irrationality and stuff. Yeah. He said something about hating irrationality. Uh, finally, uh, Superman, he like stomps his foot where when no one's looking. So it causes an earthquake earthquake that causes parasite to fall and get trapped under rubble, which Luthor is kicking him while he's down. And he says that he likes Kent because Kent is everything. Superman isn't. You find out there's a trap door in uh, Luthor's cell. He could have escaped at any time, but he wants to meet his fate knowing that he's killed Superman. Yeah, and they have the the great bit that I really liked as like he's leading him like Clark down through the trap door and everything. When Clark just goes like, "You and Superman could have been friends, but instead you're going to die." And Lex just goes, "Ah, but he's going to die first. Where it's just again like is how much he hates Superman so much, and it's just all this like. I don't really care if I live or die. I'm just like, I know I've beaten him. And before you wonder how he did this, apparently if you recite Moby Dick at a certain frequency, it can cut solid granite. <laughs> Reaching a little bit on that one, but I'll, 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 <laughs> I'll let it go. <laughs> they meet his niece underneath everything. She's in a little canoe. He says she's 16, speaks 30 languages, and inspires to rule the world. What's with her outfit, by the way? The outfit is atrocious. That's it's weird. Like definitely, like this is like a Grant Morrison, Frank Quietly design. It looks she kind of looks like Psylocke from the X Men to me. She takes Clark out of there on a canoe. And I was actually going to mention that uh, she is actually a character from the comics too. I thought so. Only in like a couple issues of like Supergirl, I think I read basically where she was just like. Yeah, Lex Luthor's evil niece. Sure, she fights Superman's uh, like cousin. Sure, let's go with that. After he leaves, uh, we go to actually, uh, I think, one of the best scenes in the movie where Superman has a heart-to-heart with Lois that he's leaving Earth. He's found a planet that he Kandor can colonize. But uh, yeah, it's going to take him quite a while to get there because it's in the far reaches of the galaxy. And then he finally tells Lois Lane that because of what happened, he's dying. Yeah, and this is kind of where like the most gets like changed from the comics, I would say, of mostly just like kind of reordering the timeline of events. There's like a couple different stories again that like because it's like 12 issues and they only have the hour and a half that get cut. So like there's yeah. one with Bizarro and the time travel story that also gets was like right around this section, too. And like the Bizarro st- story was why Superman's off Earth. But they got to like for just like the plot and everything. They have to like, all right, why is Superman leaving? if we can't do that story, so to speak. And she makes reference to their children where he said that I'm an alien. Our biology is too different. They can't have children. It's ironic. Then now in like current continuity where their son's just like such a major character now. Yeah. So that's like completely different now. I thought this was one of the, this was a, just a great 
just a great, well-written Superman scene. Like, made me love Superman that much more. And the soundtrack to this movie is great. We haven't talked about it, but the the music is is really good as well. Yeah, and I really like that. Just one of the final things he wants to do is to like make sure Kandor is not just like locked up in the fortress or anything after he's gone, but like actually find a place for it, like out there in the galaxy. So we flip to Superman came back to Earth, and uh, we find out two months has passed. But when he gets there, uh, Metropolis is completely different. All the architecture is very alien. Perry White <laughs> can't believe Kent's there. They thought he was dead. They even had a funeral. <laughs> it's very funny. We're just like, again, great Caesar's ghost. And then cut to like, wait, what? You're alive? Like how many times, even happened in the Batman Superman movie where Clark Kent and Superman are always dying simultaneously. Nobody thinks anything's weird about it. <laughs> So you find out two Kryptonians have come to Earth and took over Metropolis. Not sure why none of the other Justice League or any other superheroes tried to do anything about this while Superman was gone, but I guess it's Superman's story, so I guess that's that's the only explanation needed. Why doesn't Superman go to Gotham all the time to beat up like the Joker every, yeah, every other day? No Man's Land where like Gotham was literally like cut off from the rest of the world. You just gotta accept this isn't this one of those comic book things you gotta accept. Now, this was interesting. They were astronauts who had left Krypton before it blew up. Mm-hmm. They'd followed K- little Kal-El's rocket ship to Earth. That's how they found it. But just They must have been further away from Krypton when all that happened. They kind of looked down at him for uh, pretty much just adapting to the humanity and not ruling and creating a new Krypton. Yeah, like, calling, like telling him he's gone native and stuff like that. And this had a great line, which I think a lot of modern Superman writers should and fans should hear where he says, I have no right to oppose my will on these people, mm-hmm. which I like a lot because I'm really sick of the argument of why Superman doesn't do more. I'm sick of hearing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the whole point of his character is that he was raised to not be a god or anything like that, to be a normal person who could make a difference, but but not to mention it's comic books. You can't, <laughs> you can't, re- you can't apply the real world <laughs> to comic books. As he was like just fighting dinosaur people from the center of the earth earlier. (laughs) (laughs) They've even taken over the Fortress of Solitude. They destroyed the statue of his parents. They have a huge fight where at one point they even break the moon. (laughs) Now this part was a little curious to me because after that happens, for some strange reason, he goes back to the Daily Planet as as Clark Kent. Mm Mm-hmm. There are these two Kryptonians that are pretty much can take over the entire planet. Why can't he wait before he goes back to being Clark Kent? Listen, he's still got like a nine to five. Like uh, Steve, as a practical joke, uh, lights Kent's jacket on fire where he cleverly trips and causes it to light his hairpiece on fire. Um, then the Kryptonians show up to fight again, but suddenly they start losing their powers when you find out that because they went through the destruction of Krypton, their cells have been absorbing the radiation and pretty much becoming Kryptonian radiation. So they're dying and losing their powers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They got like kryptonite, like basically embedded in them. So they have a heart to heart where Superman says he can't really save them. He can just make them comfortable where he said he'd be honored to call him his kin. And while they were working a cure, they're going to send them into the phantom zone. And they have the bar L who's the, the what guy there has a really nice line I like where he just goes, after everything we've done, you still show us kindness, which I also think is just another great little Superman bit of, yeah, he still wants to like help people, even like villains and stuff. He still like thinks they could be better and everything. 
So they go into the Phantom Zone where it looks like they have a happy ending. Superman goes to Jonathan Kent's grave. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, actually, he went to see Superman, uh, Luthor, first to tell him this was his chance to prove he could do stuff for humanity without him gone, which Luthor spits at him. So he's still pretty mad. So good. So he's he's really just going to, to the bitter end with Superman, just not cut him any slack. Great scene with uh, Superman and Martha Kent at Jonathan Kent's grave, how they still miss him. And they have a hug, and he tells her he loves her, but he doesn't actually tell her. He kind of keeps it for her that he's actually dying. Yeah, this is actually, I think, one of the like good, really subtle parts of it is how you never really see Superman be like sad or grieving that he's dying. But there's like all these like kind of little subtle things, like of how yeah, he absolutely doesn't want anyone to know about it, really, until it's like like how he tells Lois before he's leaving Earth, where he's not like, not sure if he's going to come back or not. Or also like how when he's like, I've gotten really into sewing of just how he's like, oh, I don't have that much time left where I'm going to like try all these new different things with all my powers now. But it's just like, I think it's like really kind of like subtly in the writing there about how he's actually like still like dealing with the fact that it's like, oh, I am going to die. Sometimes the best deaths in fiction is when the character actually knows they're going to die because then they can do a lot of like great like wrapping up of storylines that you never thought would wrap up because they're, you know, they're characters you thought that would go on forever. All right. Luthor's on the electric chair. He's a little upset that uh, Clark, well, not Clark, Superman wasn't there to see it. And this is where we get the you stink of the irrational to the priest there. <laughs> Which he calls him Padre. Everybody's always, I don't know why in entertainment everybody's always calling priest Padre. I rarely hear anybody say that in real life. Yeah. The electric doesn't work, though, and he laughs. <laughs> and you find out he had built that 24-hour serum himself. So you find out Luthor has got Superman's powers as well. Superman, is uh, he's back on uh, the Fortress of Solitude because he doesn't know this is happening. He, you know, he realizes he's running out of times, but he has few regrets. He's had parents that loved him. He's helped a lot of people. He's had great friends. He writes this in his giant metal diary. <laughs> Which was pretty awesome, which he uses his heat, his heat vision for. Yeah, yeah. Luthor reveals his plan to his niece that he's created these robots that she's going to have to work. He's also uh, has a little insurance policy because he's teamed up with Solaris, who's going to make the sun red. Because with the serum, the red sun does not affect you. <laughs> so in this pretty awesome scene where uh, Superman, he gets into a white Superman costume, which is... Pretty uh, awesome. I'm not a big fan often of Superman changing costumes, but this one is one of the ones I actually like. Yeah, especially, I think it works too also because it's like for a very specialized purpose of like blocking out the red sun radiation and everything there. The robots are going to help him except for one who's going to stay behind so they can continue his legacy on Earth if he doesn't come back. Great fight scene with Solaris and the... He, he tells him that Luthor is going to betray him, but too late. He's already betrayed Luthor. As we'll find out, yeah. You know, these villains, they, they, their plans would always work if they could just trust each other for like 10 minutes. Well, if they, they could do that. They probably wouldn't be super villains, but. <laughs> the Sun Eater comes out, attacks Solaris. Looks like he's going to destroy him at one part, but uh, he kind of blows up the Sun Eater, which really gets uh, Superman mad, but it also uses a lot of his energy. Mm-hmm. He's like trashing Solaris at this point, even throws him into Metropolis. And one another great bit where he says how uh, he asked for mercy and Superman says, I don't think I have any mercy left. And he just 
bam, punches him and just takes him out. Mm-hmm. See, I also like when Superman goes that one step further, they never make him like act like it's out of like, like he doesn't get pleasure out of it, but it's still awesome when he does stuff like that. I think it's also one of those things where it's just like, it's a robot. Like for all we know, Solaris could just come back again too. So it's like how you can destroy Brainiac over and over. So it's not necessarily like, he's not really murdering anything. So at this point, Clark Kent shows up again at the uh, Daily Planet. He's got a big story. Superman is dead. It's the very headline he saw earlier and he collapses right before he do it. Where they think he's dead. He doesn't even have a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. But then Luther shows up in all his glory. Using his uh, super breath, his heat vision, his flight. You find out that Solaris turned the sun blue, so he's poisoned the sun. So you find out Clark isn't dead, he's alive, and he shoots Luthor with a gravity gun that sends him crashing to the ground. And then, in front of everybody, he reveals that he is Superman. Because now, yeah, it, it reveals it now that it kind of doesn't matter, unfortunately. I think at this point, Lois Lane is finally accepting that (laughs) (laughs) Clark Kent is Superman. They have a great, awesome fight between the two of them. Ends up in a subway. One great point, Luthor, he holds uh, Superman's face against the third rail and his whole body electrocutes. The the whole fight in the subway, I was also just like, oh, this is where Invincible got this fight, basically. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Without the carnage, it's a very similar fight. Because like he does the great the, the he's punching him in the face he knees him in the head you don't often get to see the brutality of what of a fight with Superman so that was a pretty cool part he drags him out of the subway says how he's defeated him great line about how he's going to be moving into the White House later today <laughs> but Superman reveals that uh, he tricked him the whole time the gravity gun actually sped up Luther's internal clock so that the serum runs out a lot quicker. And I think it's one of those great bits of like his whole rant at the end that Luther has where he's just like, as his powers are fading, is just like one of the like the standout moments of it, especially with just the series, the movie where he's like, I could have saved the world if it hadn't been for you. And Superman just goes, if, if it had mattered to you, you could have saved it years ago. Yeah, it's a gr- it's a great bit where uh, Luther's intelligence is consistent. Like he knew he was going to have to save the world from Solaris. And he was going to get the glory doing it after defeating Superman. So it's like he's not even like he's more upset that Superman robbed him of the glory Mm -hmm. of saving the planet when Superman couldn't do it. And it's also the idea of just like as like even like he said earlier when like the conversation between him and Clark where he was just like you're like if you had been friends you could have been helping the entire planet and everything of just like Lex is like this super genius and everything but he's just so wrapped up in the like hatred he has for superman that he just like disregards everything else so uh, you can see superman's face is starting to crack with energy great moment where he uh he wraps his cape around lois lane and gives her a kiss and even says and with almost uh as much of a cartoon could come close to choking me up says i love you lois lane until the end of time so really a great such a superman way to do things and he flies into the sun, turning it back to yellow. Appearing like he's dead. You don't know. Uh, even when they try and do the last Superman story, they always leave it open where mm-hmm. he, he might still be with us. Lois is in the park. Jimmy Olsen asks her if he's going to go to the memorial. 
But she says no because he's not dead. And uh, she's going to be right there waiting for him when he's done fixing the sun. <laughs> and we go to a final scene with uh, Luthor with, uh, what's his name again? Quinto? Quintum. Quintum, yeah, there we go. And uh, he says it's not a trap. Uh, it's not a trick. He wants to honor Superman's memory, and he hands him a big book, which is a map of the genetic code that can replicate the serum. And does he set a line? Uh, I'm trying to remember because there was a lot of noise at the time in my house. Was he uh, saying how it needed a, was it the DNA of a human woman? So it's the idea of like, yeah, they're going to, Superman and Lois will be able to have their children there and everything actually. And still get another Superman down the road. And there's a final shot of him looking at the book saying, well, they always said they'd have children and he shuts the book and it's the Superman signal. And this is uh, actually a little change from the comic that I actually think works better in the movie here, which is uh, in the comic, it's not, it's just Quintum has the the serum at the end, basically. And I like that they give in this version, Luther is the one who gives it to him as the final kind of like full circle redemption story for Alex Luther there after going through the entire movie in his own way too. And there you have it. All-star Superman. <laughs> Before we get into our ranking and review, how do you think it uh, it stands up to the comic book? I definitely think, like I kind of said earlier, it is the best adaption you could do with the constraints that, unfortunately, like Warner Brothers puts on their movies for whatever reason of just like the time frame. Because uh, there's like a bunch of scenes I really, really like that in the comic that kind of get cut for time, unfortunately. Uh, but I think it does like a really good job of still capturing the same elements like there's uh one of the things i really wish they had put in was the like there's that famous panel of like superman talking to the the crying girl on top of the building oh yeah yeah it's referenced all the time on social media yeah that's from this series and everything and it's like i understand like again you have the time constraints but it's like such a, like a powerful like moment in the comic so it's always just kind of weird that they didn't find a place for it here so on that note we're going right over to our spectrometer Anyone new to the show, we uh, rank we saw. Zero Spectros being absolute garbage. Four Spectros being perfection. Jamie, how are you going to rank All-Star Superman? I mean, I'm incredibly biased. And as I've probably said throughout this entire review and everything, uh, but I'm going to give it nine. I It's one of my favorite like comic books, and it's one of my favorite adaptions of basically any story. Uh, and I think it just still... Like again, overcomes the flaws that are unfortunately put upon it to still tell like one of the best Superman stories out there. So you're going perfection. It just can't get any better. Basically, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm gonna say uh, now this is your review is from coming from someone who's read the comic as well. I'm coming from someone who has not read the comic. I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna give it four. I'm gonna say it's perfection. It, it it just doesn't get any better. This is a great Superman story. The artwork is tremendous. It's the voice acting is perfect. The way it's done is great. There's a few things I think are clunky as far as pacing goes, but they're minor. They're minor enough that it takes away. I'm going perfection. This is great. This is probably the. This is one of the best. Uh, it's definitely the best animated Superman story I've ever seen. I 100% agree. <laughs> 
What do you think out there? Did you like? Well, you couldn't like it any better than we did. But uh, <laughs> did you like it less? If you didn't enjoy it as much as we did, that's okay. I always want to hear from your opinion. You can go to my social media and you can uh, let me know what you thought. I'm at Twitter at Matt Spectro. Follow me while you're there, and I'm uh, Matt Spectro through the multiverse on Facebook. Follow me there as well. Every uh, week, we also ask the question. If a child in 2022 came across All-Star Superman, are they going to enjoy it? I think that's kind of tricky, honestly. Like, I feel like they would still, like, like it, but I feel like it's kind of still, like, a story that's kind of sad, ultimately. <laughs> With, like, kind of, like, bittersweet of Superman dying. But I feel like there's still enough to, like, keep a kid entertained here. Yeah, I think, um... Like, a, maybe, like, a preteen, kind of. Yeah, it's going to be more towards an older fan, because I think... I, uh, there's a lot of flashy stuff and a lot of action. The animation's really good, so I think a kid's going to enjoy it all, but it is 77 minutes long, so I'm not sure if if it's too much of a story that's going to keep their interest. Mm-hmm. Probably a preteen, like you said, but I don't think they're going to hate it. I think they're going to, for the most part, like it. And like I said, if you have a different opinion, let us know. And if you could also, as well as follow me on social media, if you could smash the subscribe button and recommend my podcast, I appreciate it as well. All right, Jamie, I want to thank you for being here. Uh, I always give a free plug. I don't know. Uh, I know you're a writer, so I don't know if you might have anything to plug at this point in time. Yeah, like nothing like uh, super exclusive to me, but uh, I can recommend my friend's band, The Town Criers. They're uh, a local band for New Hampshire. Uh, just released their first album, uh, which you can find on like Spotify, Tidal, basically any kind of like music streaming service. I helped out with some of the editing for like the lyrics and stuff. Um, so if you search the town criers, you'll be able to check them out. All right. Sounds good. I want to thank you for being the fifth most popular guest on my show. And that's what I aim for in life. No, fifth place. <laughs> I never, uh, Hey, I, I have to thank you all. I mean, uh, for all I know, it's you, you guys are getting people to listen and not me. <laughs> They're like, I really don't like that Matt Spectro guy, but damn, he's got some good guests on the show. I mean, you're you're still like on the number highest ranked episode too. Just you're also on the lowest one too, probably. <laughs> that, that, actually, no. The lowest ranked episode is an episode I was I had a guest host, so <laughs> so I can at least say I wasn't on the least uh, the least popular episode. That's one thing you got. Then. <laughs> well, I want to thank you. I hope you'll uh, you don't just have to come back for a top five. I hope you'll come back again as well. Yeah, of course, anytime. All right, and like I said, I want to thank you all for joining us as we are counting down to my year anniversary. Next week, we're going to have the fourth most popular guest. Thank Jamie for joining us. Thank you for listening, and join us again next week for Met Spectro Through the Multiverse. Excelsior!